Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. As we sing of the wisdom of God, we turn to this book of wisdom from the Lord, Proverbs, and I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. We're coming toward the end of Solomon's appeal to pursue wisdom rather than folly. Now, last week, Solomon warned his son against folly's invitation. He exposed temptation's tactics through the story of a young man who was lured by a forbidden woman who came out at night dressed to allure to persuade him that illicit pleasure was both safe and desirable and so to trap the unprepared in sin and death. Now today, Solomon describes Lady Wisdom's invitation. In a marked contrast, Wisdom calls out during the daytime from the public places, at the gates, at the front of the town, so that all may hear and consider her offer. Now just to whet your appetite, I think that Proverbs chapter 8 is perhaps the most beautiful and lofty chapter in all the book of Proverbs. It will take us some work to plumb its depths, but the reward is worth it. So join me as we read Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call... Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and Those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. 
Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth and its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Father, we thank you for your word. Send your spirit, apply it to our hearts that we might know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we are gearing up for another election season, I have to express my flourishing cynicism at campaign speeches. One would hope that a campaign speech would give solid reasons to vote for a candidate. Here is who I am. Here is what I will do. Here's why I'm qualified to do it, so vote for me. Unfortunately, we have a long and inglorious history of promises that don't match reality. Maybe you uh, would think back to Herbert Hoover in 1928, who campaigned on his promise to extend prosperity to all, promising a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Of course, if you're doing your historical math, you might note that it was eight months after his uh, inauguration that the stock market crashed, the Great Depression began, and there weren't chickens in many pots at all, not to mention cars in the garage. Of course, FDR, his successor, didn't do much better. He campaigned in 1932 on responsibility and his criticism of Herbert Hoover's deficit spending only to follow the next term by skyrocketing the deficit spending in his attempt to manage the Great Depression, and his promises went out the window as well. It seems like just about every candidate today is intent to promise anything people will like, regardless of whether it is connected to reality or not. I'll solve the national debt. I'll take care of climate change. I'll solve inflation. I have to admit that few of their speeches inspire my confidence and their ability to govern. But set aside politics for a minute and imagine a high and holy and beautiful offer of blessing and life, of favor from the Lord and protection from folly and death. Imagine an offer that was not a pie-in-the-sky sort of offer, but a real and substantiated offer of the greatest blessings we could imagine. That is what we have here in Proverbs chapter 8. Here we have wisdom's summons and her rationale for why we should listen to her and choose her. And as she speaks, she follows the outline of a good campaign speech. She says, here is who I am. Here is what I have to offer. Here is why I'm qualified to offer it. 
so choose me. And that's our outline this morning. Here's who I am. Here's what I offer. Here's why I'm qualified to offer it, so choose me. We start with verses 1 through 11 where wisdom calls out and describes her character or who she is. Her cry goes out in the public places of the city. She's speaking where the most people would gather, at the crossroads, on the heights, beside the gates at the front of town. And her cry goes out to everyone, to all mankind and to all the children of men, including even the simple and the fool, to anyone who will listen, to turn and learn prudence and sense. But supposing you heard wisdom's call, her cry go out, and you might ask, well, wisdom, what are you like? If I follow you, what sort of person am I following? And in verses 6 through 11, wisdom describes her character and who she is. From her lips come what is right. Her mouth utters truth. All her words are righteous, and there is nothing wicked, twisted, or crooked in them. They are straight and right and bring instruction and knowledge that is better of silver or gold. What a contrast from Lady Folly from last chapter. She came at night. She was a smooth-talking woman who twisted the truth, who flattered, who hid the consequences. In contrast, wisdom Her words are true and righteous, noble and straight as an arrow. Notice that wisdom describes herself in terms that sound a lot like the character of God himself here. That shouldn't surprise us at all because Proverbs 2 said that the Lord himself gives wisdom and wisdom comes from his mouth. And Proverbs 3 said that wisdom characterized the Lord's own actions. And so wisdom's invitation here is a summons to hear her words and her commandments, which come from and reflect the character of the Lord himself and all of his truth and righteousness. Now, isn't that attractive? I mean, just consider the amount of opinion, news, social circles that leave us spinning in webs of self-interest, bias, hidden motivations, I watch one football game like I did yesterday and consider all the commercials and all the ways they spin their products and try to sell them to you. Think of the way everyone from high school to the workplace angles for acceptance and success and getting a step ahead. And don't you long for someone who is genuine, honest, and true with no hidden motivations in their righteousness? How pure and lovely and desirable are words and instructions in which there is nothing crooked, nothing twisted, nothing hidden in them, but only what is right. Isn't a voice like that, like cool and refreshing water in the midst of a 95 degree September afternoon? That's the character of wisdom. That is who wisdom is, true, righteous, noble, and right. Well, then in verses 12 through 21, wisdom goes on to declare what she will do or what benefits she will bring if we choose her. Just glance down through these verses with me, and we find that wisdom dwells with prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Wisdom possesses counsel, insight, and strength. Wisdom is the means by which kings govern and rulers decree what is just. 
And along with these blessings, wisdom and the fear of the Lord bring a hatred of evil, pride, arrogance, and perverted speech. I'm going to just stack all of those blessings on top of one another and consider what wisdom is offering you if you will pursue her. Wisdom is saying, I can give insight into life and how it works. Discretion to decide what is best. Counsel and what one ought to do. Prudence to weigh options truthfully and carefully. I can give justice in order to do and respond rightly. And strength and blessing come with wisdom because she hates evil, pride, arrogance, and perverted speech. If you were to do a quick survey of Proverbs and ask, what is the result of pride, arrogance, perverted speech, evil? What you'd find is that pride leads to a fall. Perverted speech leads to calamity. Arrogance leads God to turn his face away from us. And evil leads to death. And so wisdom offers a hatred of these things which lead to destruction. And so offers the blessings of prudence, strength, and justice in their place. But we're not done. Look down to verse 18. Wisdom adds that riches and honor are with her. Wealth and righteousness come from her. Her fruit is better than gold and silver. Now just to be clear, wisdom is not saying, keep a few rules I'll give you and gold will flow through your fingers. Of course, that's not what wisdom's saying here. Remember what Proverbs are. They are not comprehensive statements on every situation in life. They are descriptions of two paths that you could follow, wisdom and folly. And all throughout Proverbs, we're going to hear how folly, particularly in laziness, greed, Pride and sexual sin lead to poverty and disgrace. Whereas wisdom, particularly in its diligence, faithfulness, and purity, lead to honor and success and safety. And doesn't experience justify the claims of those two paths? But notice that even while success and honor do come from wisdom rather than the poverty and disgrace of folly, notice that wisdom is not offering mere riches. Because in verse 19, wisdom says her fruit is better than silver or gold. For she brings the joy, the safety, the favor of God, the promise of life that comes through righteousness and keeping his commandments. And so that is what wisdom has to offer. And just step back at this point and ask yourself, all right, what all is wisdom offering the one who pursues her? Truth and what is right. Discretion and counsel. Success and honor. Joy and safety in a life that are better than riches in the favor of the Lord. And in the midst of a broken world and the culture swirling around us, is that offer appealing to you? Is that worth pursuing? Well, if it is, maybe the question that you're asking is, okay, but can wisdom really deliver on that promise? Is this just another campaign speech from religion that's too good to be true? Can wisdom really bring the blessings that are outlined in these verses? And that brings us to verses 22 to 31, where we find out why wisdom is qualified to make such magnificent promises. Now, just to warn you, This is where we have to read carefully, 
but also where we're going to find the greatest glory. So get ready here. On a first read, why is wisdom qualified to make these offers of blessing? Well, wisdom gives two reasons in these verses. First, wisdom has existed with God from all eternity. And second, wisdom participated with God in the creation of the world. Do you remember in the book of Job how Job questioned the Lord and said he didn't understand how what God was doing lived up to his character? And do you remember what Job's, uh, or excuse me, do you remember what the Lord said to Job in Job 38 when he spoke out of the whirlwind? He said, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And in other words, Job, how can you understand my ways? How can you understand the way life works and how things happen? You weren't here when I made the earth. You weren't here when I put it together. But Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom was there. Wisdom was possessed or brought forth before time or the world began. That is, wisdom has been with God from eternity. Wisdom flowed from God at the very beginning of His ways, verse 22 says. And not only was wisdom there in the beginning when God created all things, wisdom actually participated with God in creation. Wisdom was beside Him through the process as a master craftsman, according to verse 30. And so as a result, unlike Job, wisdom does know how the earth was founded. It was there and is able to speak with truth and understanding and insight to show us the way God intends life to be lived. Think of this a little bit like a broken laptop. I know absolutely nothing about laptops. I don't know how they were put together. I don't know how they work. And so if you bring me your broken laptop, I'm going to be of zero help. I have zero wisdom to offer you. But imagine if I worked with one of you who builds your own computers, and together we put together a computer. I watched you. I built it with you. We discussed each part as it went together. Well, in that case, I'd be much more qualified to understand what was going on if something broke. And that's just a tiny picture here of what we're reading about wisdom, who is credible and qualified to offer knowledge and insight, truth and justice, and to reveal the ways that lead to honor, blessing, and life. Because wisdom has been with the Lord for all eternity and was there and participated in the creation of this life. That's a first read. But these verses, while clearly saying what we've just said, beg for further examination. Because wisdom is described here in personal ways that seem to go much beyond a mere attribute of God's character. For instance, this passage repeatedly uses language of begetting, like a father begetting his son. Verse 22 reads, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his ways, or the beginning of his works. But the word translated possessed here is usually or typically used for birth and begetting. Genesis 4, I had a son born of me. So in verses 24 and 25, wisdom is twice said to be brought forth before time or the world began. That's birth language or begetting language. This sounds like a father begetting his son. But not only that, look at verse 23 with me. Ages ago, I was set up 
at the first before the beginning of the earth. Now, the Hebrew word translated, I was set up, is only used one other time in the whole Old Testament. It was used in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where the Lord declares, I have set up my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Do you hear the same themes in the same language? I have set you up. I have begotten you as my son. Psalm 2. Proverbs 8. I have begotten you from all eternity. I have set you up from the very first. But Psalm 2 isn't about an attribute of God. It's about the Messiah. And the same language is being used here. If that's not enough, look at verses 30 to 31. There we read, I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. These verses describe wisdom's partnership with God and creation, but they they give a window into the joy and delight of perfect unity and fellowship with God. This This is personal unity and fellowship. This goes far beyond the way we would talk about someone's attribute. Now, I will tell you that most modern commentators think that Proverbs 8 here is just really good poetry and that this is poetic imagery for wisdom and God's delight in his own wisdom. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that matches the words of this chapter and it doesn't match what nearly every single Christian said for 1,900 years. And not only that, it doesn't match what Jewish rabbis and commentators thought even before Christ showed up. Dr. Seth Postel, academic dean at Israel College of the Bible, argues that these verses have taken on tremendous significance for Jewish rabbis and commentators for centuries. In fact, few if any of them took them as an attribute of God. They didn't know what to make of it. They thought of it maybe as the Torah or something else. But even beyond that, if we look at the Jewish Targums, now a Jewish Targum was a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Aramaic along with an interpretation. So it would translate and interpret the Old Testament for the people as they uh, needed to read it in Aramaic. One of the most famous Jewish Targums translates and interprets this passage in Genesis 1 this way, writing, in the beginning with wisdom, The Son of Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Now, what business does a Jewish author have to talk about the Son of Yahweh? And yet that is how they understood this. But not only that, flip your Bibles over with me to Proverbs chapter 30. I realize we aren't to Proverbs 30 yet. We've got a long ways to go till we get there. But flip your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 was written by Agur, son of Jaka. Now, we have no idea who Agur was. He might have been one of the scribes that collected Solomon's Proverbs under Hezekiah. Maybe he was a later Jewish wise man. We don't know. But I want you to read with me the words of Agur, starting in verse 1. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. See what Agur is saying here. He is weary in his longing to know the Holy One, but he does not have the wisdom and the knowledge of God that he longs for. Verse 4. 
Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? Well, of course, we know the answer to those questions. It's God. It's the Holy One who has done that. It's the one Agur is longing to know. But look what he says then. What is his name and what is his son's name? Once again, here in the Hebrew Scriptures, we're asking, what is the name, what is the Holy One like, and what is his son's name? Where is that coming from? Maybe Agur had read Proverbs chapter 8. This is clear from the Scriptures as God is building in the knowledge that Yahweh, the one and only God, has begotten a son in some way. And so the burning desire on the mind of Agur is, who is this? What is his name and what is his son's name? But he did not have an answer at the time. But in God's goodness, if we were to turn our Bibles over to the New Testament, we could read in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Do you hear Proverbs 8 there? He was with God. He was God. In the beginning, all things were made through him. And then we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only begotten Son of the Father. That's Proverbs 8 language again. The one begotten from the Father. And then we read, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, after centuries of waiting, Agur has an answer to his question. Suddenly the scriptures open up in clarity and greater glory for the Son himself has come down to dwell among us and make known the Father and he has taken a name and his name is Jesus. And suddenly we go back to Proverbs 8 and we find out, well, this isn't just wisdom dwelling with God. This, this was wisdom embodied in the Son himself begotten of the Father. No wonder wisdom is qualified and able to offer us truth and righteousness, counsel, insight, riches, treasure, honor, favor from the Lord and life itself because it's nothing less than the Son of God himself who makes these offers. It is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one who is buried treasure worth giving up everything we have to turn and follow him. It is the one who unites us to himself and welcomes us into his kingdom forever. And when we realize that this is the one who stands behind Proverbs 8 and the riches of the offer that he makes, the question is, will we come to him? In fact, right back in Proverbs chapter 8, That's how this chapter concludes, verses 32 to 36. Having described who wisdom is and what wisdom offers and why wisdom is qualified to offer such rich blessings, the chapter closes by saying, will you choose wisdom? Listen to me. Hear me. And it's important for us to understand that there's no neutral ground here. You know, if I were to offer you, say, a a winning lottery ticket and you turned me down, You would miss out on the blessings of a stack of cash, but you'd go right back to living your life the way you are right now. It's not that bad of a deal, maybe. And some people think of the offer of the gospel in the same way. They say, look, you're inviting me to be a Christian, and you're offering me all this peace and joy and love and stuff, but if I say no to religion, I just go right back to living my life the way I am right now, 
and it's not that bad of a deal. But that's wrong. Because Proverbs joins the universal testimony of the Scriptures to tell us that every one of us, like sheep, has gone astray after our own ways. That we are all dead in our trespasses and sins and children of wrath with the rest of mankind. Which means that if we fail to find the Son of the Lord who invites us to the way of life, then we are still on our way to death. And that's exactly what verse 36 says. He who fails to find me injures himself and all who hate me love death. And so the question is, do you know Jesus? Have you listened to him and chosen wisdom in him? He is the one who through his life, death, and resurrection have made possible the blessings of wisdom in this chapter. Have you come to him? Before we end, I want to just mention one last thing. Would you notice the language of verses 32 to 34 with me? Blessed is the one who keeps my ways, who hears instruction and does not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates. Can you picture the yearning of one who waited every single day, day after day at the gates of wisdom, longing to have what the Lord was offering. The vigilance and constancy of these verses communicate our desire for the wisdom of the Lord. They communicate the importance that we place on wisdom's ways. They communicate an understanding of what is at stake when it comes to finding God's wisdom. And what I want to challenge us is that rightly applied the biblical truth that our salvation is a gift from God received by faith alone should give birth to a spirit-inspired zeal for the Lord. But wrongly applied, sometimes this truth of God's free gift of salvation leads to spiritual apathy. We hear we can't do anything to earn our salvation and so we think there's nothing for us to do at all. We hear Jesus died in our place, and so there's no expectation for us at all anymore. But what we need to hear is what Scripture says repeatedly, that when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, He gives us His Spirit who makes us new and calls us to strive with every ounce of our energy to know the Lord and to live for the Lord. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And so my question for every one of us is, do you have that desire, that daily waiting at the gate sort of yearning for the wisdom of the Lord? I mean, just think about Chick-fil-A. If you know anything about Chick-fil-A, you know that when a new Chick-fil-A opens, people will camp out in tents, sometimes even in the snow, to get 52 free chicken sandwiches. If we're willing to camp out in tents in the snow for a few chicken sandwiches, what will we do to pursue the life and daily fellowship with the Lord that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior? What will we do in our longing for the wisdom and the life and the favor of the Lord offered in this chapter? See, wisdom is so worth it and so qualified to offer us these rich rewards 
For this wisdom comes from God through his eternally begotten son. May we hear his invitation. May we love the one who loved us first. May we watch daily at his gates. May we keep his ways that we might find life and joy and delight and fellowship with him forever. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this chapter of your word in which wisdom calls out to us. And yet as we dig into it, we find that it is not merely wisdom in a poetic abstract. It is nothing less than the eternally begotten Son of God calling out to us, inviting us to find life and joy and to join Him in fellowship and delight with the Father. Father, may we not leave here having not heard that call and responded. Father, for all those who know Christ, Would you keep us from apathy and give us that vigilance and constancy driven by the Spirit of God in us that longs to pursue you, to know you, to keep your ways for the glory of your name. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.